Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, today, uh, this week actually marked an important uh, turning point for me in the year. And um, hey, Chuck, this is a little ringy for me. Can you bring it down a hair? Thanks. Uh, so uh, the turning point was this, that um, you need to kill that. All right, great. Okay, great. Turning point was this. Uh, I changed from shorts to jeans at, at work, okay? Um, for those of you who uh, don't have the privilege of being in ministry, I get to wear shorts to the office all summer long. But on Monday, I, I marked the turning point where I'm wearing jeans to work all summer long, which means an important event is about to take place. And the important event is this, that beginning the first Monday in October, which is uh, eight days from now, uh, the North Carolina Fish and Game uh, will be stocking all of the streams of North Carolina with thousands of trout, which I will go and fish for on a ex very regular basis, right? Because I love fly fishing for trout. Sink taught me how to fly fish for trout many years ago on a men's retreat getaway, and um, I was addicted, right? I was, I was completely hooked uh, from the beginning. Now, those of you who haven't trained under sink yet, I highly recommend that. Um, but trout fishing is uh, a complex process, right? It, it's not enough to know uh, which seasons, I mean, which streams the fish are being put in. You've got to know, like, when's the right time to go. Um, it turns out that there's kind of an ideal season uh, to catch fish. And the reason is because trout die due to lack of oxygen if the water temperature gets above 68, and they hibernate if it gets below 38. So there's kind of these little windows in North Carolina when you can fish for them between October and December and between March and May. That's kind of the sweet spot for trout. Um, and then you've got to go where they are, right? So you've got to kind of know, oh, this, this particular stream has got a lot of fish in it. Um, but once you get there, you have to find them. And that's because trout move around, right? They're, they're hunted by predators and they're hunting uh, bugs and things like that. So they're moving up and down the stream. And, and when you get there at first, you can't really see through the surface of the water. All you can see is kind of the reflection off of the top of the water. It takes a little while for your eyes to adjust. So you've got to kind of sit there for a while and wait until like it's like one of those magic eye uh, posters where you can suddenly see all the way through it, right? And you can see the depths of what's going on. Uh, once you can do that, then you got to figure out what they're hungry for, right? Some trout are going to eat off the bottom. Some trout are going to kind of eat little fish in the middle. Some trout are going to eat bugs off that are floating on the top. So you got to kind of figure out what they want so that you can put on the right lure and present it to them in a way that they believe it's what they're hungry for. And then once you get them on the line, you have to be patient because you have to kind of fish for them with line that's light enough that they can't see the line, which means they can break it if you kind of try to horse them into your net. So instead, you've got to be patient, kind of let them run, let them wear themselves down for a little while before you're able to net them. And then the thing that drives Holly crazy is then I, I let them go, all right? And it drives her nuts. She's like, you go fishing all day and you don't bring any trout back for me to eat. And I have to explain that uh, delayed harvest water, which is what I'm fishing most of the time, uh, it, the delay is you can't keep them until the water's too hot for them to, to live in it. So you can keep them on June 7th, but you can't keep them before that. But honestly, I let them go because I love trout, 
right? I don't, I don't love eating trout. I like love trout. I love them. I think they're amazing and adorable, and I'm kind of in love with them. And so I, I set them free, right? And I develop kind of special relationships with certain trout. So like, you know, uh, uh, Parker in his, uh, his family has a place out in Old Fort, and they have a, a big pond full of massive trout, but the biggest trout in there they've named. His name is Hog Johnson. And if you can catch Hog Johnson, that is quite, you know, the accomplishment. And I have the same thing. I have certain trout that I have, like, long-standing relationships with that we try to go back and forth. Um, now, here's why I bring all that up. Because uh, what you're going to see in the passage that we're going to look at today is it turns out that God loves fishing, too. Uh, but God doesn't fish for fish. God fishes for family. In our passage today, uh, Mark reports the following in Mark 1, 14-20, which is printed in your bulletin if you want to follow along. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now these are the first recorded words of Jesus ever published. The Gospel of Mark was the first book of the New Testament ever written. And what is it that God wants us to know about Jesus first? Right? What is it that he wants us to be aware of? Well, the first thing that God wants us to know about himself is that he was excited because the season of God's rule and reign on the planet had finally arrived. Look at verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, there are two words for time in the Greek language, and Mark was originally written in Greek. There's chronos, which means chronological time, like you keep on your watch, and then there's kairos, which means seasonal time. And here Jesus is using the word kairos. What he's saying is that the season for the people of God that they had so desperately longed for, that God had promised would eventually come, this season had finally arrived. Well, what season? Uh, the season that God had promised he would send roughly 800 years before Jesus was born through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 9, 2, and then 6 and 7, God said this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. From the time God promised that through the prophet Isaiah, a series of catastrophic events had happened to the people of Israel. First, the Assyrian army came in and deported everybody in northern Israel and took them into captivity. And then the Babylonians came in and they deported everybody in Judah and they took them into captivity. And then the Persians restored the people of God to the land of Israel. And then Alexander the Great came through and he annexed them. And then the Romans came through and they took over. And it was at that point that Jesus arrives and he announces, hey, good news, the kingdom of God has finally arrived. At the strangest of times to announce it, right after God had allowed John the Baptist to be arrested by Herod. When things looked at their worst, when it looked like the people of God were once again going to be held in cultural captivity to folks who didn't respect their religion or their king. And it's in that context that Jesus stands up and he says, hey, listen, I've got really good news. It's time. The time is now. The kingdom of God is here. It's near. And so what is it exactly that the king of the kingdom of God wants us to know about himself? What is it that he loves to do? Well, it turns out that he loves to fish for family members. Look at verse 16. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So, so how does Jesus do this? How does Jesus fish for people to become members of his family and citizens in his kingdom? Well, he does it the same way I do. Right? First, he waits until it's fishing season. Verse 11, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. It turns out that human hearts experience seasons. Um, cultures cultivate. You are shaped by your environment. You're being formed all the time. And it turns out that sometimes you're in season, and sometimes you're out of season. This is why the Apostle Paul had to admonish his young disciple Timothy near the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, with this charge. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. Well, what happens when people are out of season? Well, Paul tells us in the next two verses in this chapter. He says in verse 3, 
for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. I'd say that we're probably culturally in an out-of-season time right now, that we're in a season when people have itchy ears and that they want to go to churches where they're going to be affirmed in what they already believe, that they're going to be given something that conforms to how they want life to work, whether or not it's true, in God's name. They want Jesus to place to chaplain to whatever version of the American dream it is they're pursuing, but they're not necessarily there to learn God's word. They're not necessarily there looking for sound doctrine. And so if that's the case, what are we to do? Well, uh, Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, we're supposed to keep preaching the good news. Verse 5, but as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. You and I are going to have to endure some hardships as we do the work of ministry, as we join God in what he's doing. And why is that? Why does God want us to continue to fish when people are out of season? And the answer is because he loves fishing for family so much that he keeps doing it even when times are tough. So how does he do it? Well, he does it the same way I do. First, he leaves his home and goes where the fish are. Verse 16, as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, Jesus didn't grow up a fisherman. Jesus grew up in the home of Joseph, a plow repairman in Nazareth, a really poor section of uh, Israel. And so he had left his home to come here to Capernaum to seek these men, but even farther than that is how far he had traveled. Because as his resurrection revealed, he wasn't merely a man. He was God himself with skin on. And so Paul describes his journey this way in Philippians 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To quote an old song uh, we used to sing in the like 90s, I think. He came from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave. Why? So that he could bring us out of the grave and into his family. So having come down uh, to fish for us, what does he feed us? Well, he feeds us what we're hungry for. Good news. Anybody around here need some good news about now? Anybody hungry for that? Listen to your Lord say in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. 
See, it turns out the God that we all intuit exists and created something this beautifully complex isn't far from us. He is right beside us. He is very, very near. Which is why the Apostle Paul explained to the people of Athens this in Acts 17. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it, He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is He served by human hands as though He needed anything since He Himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he's made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they will live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps reach out and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. So what does the God who made us want us to do so that we might know Him personally and enjoy the just and righteous rule that He came to establish both now and forevermore, according to the prophet Isaiah? Well, He tells us in verse 15, Repent and believe the good news. As He passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them. You see, receiving the good news of the coming kingdom of God just requires that we do three things. We repent, we believe, and we follow. First, we need to repent. Uh, As we just read during our catechism, repentance means to turn from our own desires. And the false teachers our itchy ears long to learn from and to receive and rest upon Christ alone as he is offered to us in the gospel. So how is Jesus offered in the gospel? Well, the Apostle John, who is the fourth person mentioned in our passage today, one of Christ's first followers, his younger cousin, describes him this way in the gospel he wrote near the end of his life. In John 1, 1 1-5, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. What John is explaining here by using this Greek term, the Word, is that Jesus is essentially God's blueprint for human flourishing. If you want to know exactly how you were designed to live to experience the full joy and peace of God that is able to transcend your circumstances, all you have to do is fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, in fact, is God's master blueprint for human flourishing. But if you're going to do that, then you've got to stop trying to make your life work according to your own desires. And instead, you have to to surrender yourself to Jesus and trust Him with a future that you cannot predict or control. Watch how John did this. Verse 19, going on a little further, 
he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Following John, I mean, Jesus cost John his inheritance. He was going to inherit a family business that had hired men. His, his dad, Zebedee, was an affluent fisherman. He had been quite successful. And he was literally sitting pretty when Jesus came and said, hey, you, follow me. And John did it. What will it mean for you? Uh, what is it in your life that competes with Jesus for first place in your heart? Is it your wealth or your family or your friends or your career or your kids or your political views or your plans for retirement? For me, um, it is uh, kind of half timing, right? Like I, I was, I was being the pastor of Hope for 20 years, I've, I'm getting tired. I've been doing this a long time. And so I was like, okay, pastor of City Impact, let's pass the baton on to the next generation. This is going to be great. And then God's like, yeah, that's a good plan, but that's not my plan, right? That's not my plan. And Holly and I were like, ah, ah, right? Oh, God, you know? And uh, so she's like, how are you feeling this morning as I'm driving here? I'm like, I'm already tired. I haven't even started yet. She's like, Why? I'm like, I'm too old for this, right? Like, I, I was like a player coach, and I was getting ready to just be the coach. I said, you know, a friend of mine, Brian Whistler, called me yesterday. He says, what's this feel like? I said, you know, have you ever, like, run, like, a, your first 5K or your first 10K, and you're not exactly sure what the route is, but you think, oh, I'm pretty sure the finish line is right around that curve. And you get around the curve, and there's no finish line, right? But this time, there's a hill right? That's, that's what this feels like to me. I was like, oh, I think, I think I'm getting close, you know, and you turn the corner and you're like, whoo, there's a hill. Now, here's why that's important. When I first started Hope, there was a hill in our neighborhood, this big hill. My kids would sled down it. It's right down the street from my house, and I, I was running. I would run my neighborhood, and um, when I would ever, whenever I would get to that hill, um, I would stop, and I would walk, and I would walk up that hill. And um, I would pray while I was running. And one day while I was praying and running and I was walking up this hill, Jesus said to me, this is a problem. I was like, what? He's like, you're a quitter, right? You, you gift coast. You're, you're really gifted, but when things get hard, you quit. You're going to have to learn how to run hills if you're going to lead this church. And, um, and this is coming back to mind for me now, right? It's like, okay. Here we are. All right. Okay. We're going to run us a hill. That's what we're going to do. And that, you may be feeling the same way. I mean, you guys, y'all started this church when COVID hit. And it's just been one thing after another. And y'all got to be so tired. Right? Aren't you? I think you are. Well, that's okay. Um, God knows. And he's brought us together. Um, he wants us to follow him in good news. And what is that? Right? What is it that he's trying to convince us of? And it's simply this, um, he's willing to give us the life that we can't acquire. He put it this way in Luke 12. He said, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? 
you of little faith. Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that don't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The good news of the kingdom of God is that God is willing to give us the life that we were designed to experience if we will simply repent of trying to get it on our own. Simon, Andrew, James, and John did this. Follow me, Jesus said in verse 17, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And what were the results? Well, they became more like him. John wrote it this way in 1 John 3. He said, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. You see, we don't earn God's love by following Jesus. We experience God's love by following Jesus. Jesus came looking for them because he loved them and he wanted to be with them and he's here looking for you today. Having found them, he now invites them to join him by sharing that love with those around them. They join him in the fishing business. So that's what we're going to do here every week. Every week we're going to join Jesus as he fishes for family by preaching the good news in season and out of season to see who bites, who's ready to repent of trying to find life on their own and willing instead to turn to the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us so that we could enter his kingdom and experience his pleasure. And verse 18 tells us what that looks like. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would grant us uh, the grace to hear your voice, the eyes to see your smile, hearts to receive your affection, that we might, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, leave our nets and follow you today, immediately. We ask this in your name. Amen.